Everybody doing good this morning? Awesome. Well, my name is Michael Page. Um, if it's your first time here, I want to give you a very special welcome. And I just tell you that we're glad that you're here. Um, everything that we do in this church is to um, connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus. And that means our heart is to connect you to, a, to the heart of God and to, and to expose the worth and the value that you carry just by carrying the image of God and to show you and to get you on a pathway or a pipeline, as we like to call it, unto where God may be leading you in your life. And as we're trying to do this as a church together, to be able to um, honor Him in the way that we're doing um, life together. And so um, we're so excited that you're here, man. Like there's so many things happening here. We're so excited that you're joining us for worship. And my hope for every single one of us today it would be for us to see and know Jesus. Not just a stained glass Jesus or Jesus that you've heard about from the time you were born because you live in the Bible Belt of all places, but the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus that died for you, the Jesus that gave his life for you so that you can live. And one thing that I'm really um, aware of a lot of times as a pastor or someone who comes up and preaches the word or, or disciples people or different things um, during my week, um, what I learn is that the human race carries a lot of weight that we weren't meant to carry, right? We have, a lot of, we have a lot of weight that we carry around from sin, from worry, from anxiety, from things that we try to do on our own. We have, we have these walls up because we've been hurt or because we've been through relationships that have hurt us. And so we vow like we're never gonna be hurt by that person or anything like that again. Or we, we carry these things around, we're sin. I just can't get it right, God. I wanna follow you, but I can't get it right. I don't know what to do. And we have these walls that just keep coming and built up and built up and built up. My favorite is the one that, that Satan tries to lie to you and tell you you're not good enough. Or tells you that life's never gonna get better. It tells you that there's no hope for you. It tells you that you've gone too far. Or tells you all the lies that he likes to tell you. And so we build up a wall. And it keeps us from being able to receive the love and the mercy and the grace that God has given us through Jesus. And so this morning, my heart for you is that you would drop those walls today that you would allow the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords get in. You know what I'm saying? Like get into the deepest parts of your heart and be able to um, be able to do what He wants to do in you as we go into today. And so today we're gonna to be looking um, at our 12th week in our series of uh, in Acts. We're going through the book of Acts and it's called The Witness. And we were basing that off of Acts 1.8 where it says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's the heart for every Christian in this room is for you that you would know that you're a witness. You're not just somebody who, occup who occupies space in this world. If you're a Christian in here today, if you're somebody who follows Jesus, we like to call those people disciples. If you're a disciple of Christ, that means you carry the weight of the Holy Spirit on you into this world and you're called to do great and mighty things through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we're gonna be in chapter 12 of, of Acts today, um, but we're gonna start in Luke 11. So put your finger in Luke 11 and Acts 12. That's where we're gonna be at today for the most um, of our time. And so today we're gonna be digging into the topic of prayer. Anybody got a good, you know, anybody like that a little bit? Prayer is, is really good, man. Like at Connection, we feel like God is consistently, man, calling us to wake up to who He is, who He is. Not, who, not this image that you've created in your mind, but the reality of who God is, that we would wake up to who He is, but not just that, but to, because of Him, who we are. And when the church comes together to worship like you're seeing here today, this isn't just some religious checkpoint that we get to do once a week to feel good about ourselves and then feel better about ourselves and, 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 think, and think this is all there is. I've said this from day one as we've launched this church that I believe that God wants to do something special through this body of believers. 
something even greater than what he's already done to this point, man. I think everything we've seen so far has just been a preparation for where he's gonna take us in the future. I think he's preparing us, he's building us up, he's shaping us, he's molding us, he's unifying us, he's maturing us. And I'm gonna tell you what, we're, we're in the long game here. We're in this for the long game. This is not a sprint, this is a journey. This is a marathon that we're walking through together as brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not setting a culture for ourselves. We're not setting a culture for me or for you. We're setting a culture, we're setting the stage for the next hundred generations of kingdom workers in this place. Our heart is to see the kingdom built in this place. But I believe before God does something through this house of that magnitude, He's gonna first do it in our prayer life. At the beginning of literally every major awakening in in Christianity, whether that was in a church or a jungle somewhere or some city across the world, every single one of those was characterized by an intense and persistent corporate prayer of a church coming together and praying that God would move, praying that God would break chains, that He would break down walls, praying that principalities would fall so the kingdom could come, praying that we would walk in step with Him. One of my favorite books on prayer is called The Path of Prayer. It's by Samuel Chadwick. And there's a a quote in there that says, the central concern of the devil is to keep the saints from praying. Did you hear that? The central concern of Satan, the enemy to your soul, is to keep you from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, he mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. Prayer turns ordinary mortals into men of power. It brings fire, it brings rain, it brings life, it brings God. There's no power that, like that of prevailing prayer. So this morning, guys, we've seen God do so much over the past two years. I know it's just the beginning. I truly believe that with all my heart, but I believe that the Lord has also put it in my heart that none of this will come come apart from the persistent prayer of the body of Christ, seeking Him in everything that we do. And so as, as we get going this morning, I want us to ask a huge question. And since the church is made up of individuals, if you have a sheet of paper, I want you, I'm gonna write to get you to write something down in a second. But I wanna ask you a simple question for you to start thinking about. What's your personal prayer life like? And this is just between you and God, okay? This is not, you know, I don't want you to blur the answer, that'd get weird, you know? Um, I don't want you to talk about this at home. I, I want you to just think about it with you and God. What is your personal prayer life like? And if you have a sheet of paper, you know, cover it up the answer, don't let me cheat. I want you to write one word on that sheet of paper that describes your prayer life right now. One word. And then I want you to look at it in a year or two years or whatever and see what God's done. What is one word right now that would describe your personal prayer life right now? You must not have any note taken. This is like seven people right now, so whatever. And so my question is this, what if God had a lot more for us as a church, for our connect groups, for our cities, for our families, for our friendships, our relationships, for our mission, but we never got there simply because we never asked or simply because we never sought God for it. What if God had more? And this morning as we dig into Acts chapter 12, I think we're gonna see and we're gonna learn a lot from this early church is what it looks like to earnestly pray for God to move around us. But remember this, remember this. We've said this a hundred times in this room. Knowledge without application is useless. 
I don't care how much information you know about this book. I, it, it doesn't matter until you put it in the application. It doesn't matter until you walk it out. It doesn't matter how many times you've, how much you've learned, how many schools you've been to. It doesn't matter until you apply it. And so our heart is that this, this would create a, a prayer movement, man, like in our body where everything we do is bathed in expectant prayer. Every person that we send out, every church that we plant, every dollar that we spend, every decision that we make is bathed in the desperate prayer that God, if you don't move, we're hopelessly lost. That's the heart that we have. Like Moses said, Lord, if you don't go with us, don't send us. And that's the heart I wanna pray with today as we get into this message. So God, we love you. We praise you, God. I pray for the person in this room, God, that is in a place that, uh, of just desperation. God, I pray for the person in the room this morning, God, that needs a fresh start. God, that needs to be renewed. God, the person that may be going through hell on earth, God, it needs to be restored and needs to see a, uh, just a, a, a face of hope in you, Jesus. So Father, I pray this morning that you would flood into this room with your Holy Spirit and make us new. God, tear down the walls, change our hearts, God. Teach us new things in the scriptures, God, so that we can apply it to our lives, so that we can create create a kingdom culture in this city, God, that would just take the world by storm. God, we praise you. We love you when we ask you um, just to come and be with us in your name. Amen. All right. So today I, I told you we're going to be in Acts chapter 12, but before we get there, I'm going to look back some in chapter 11 of, um, of, of, of Luke, excuse me. I'm sorry. Same author, different book. And so if you look at um, chapter, Luke chapter 11, I want, to show, I want to tell a little story in there. I want to get some insight and some wisdom from this little story on how Jesus taught about prayer. And then I want to look in Acts chapter 12 and show you how Luke responded to prayer and how the early church responded to prayer in an applicable form. And so if you're in Luke chapter 11, we're going to be in verse one, right? Um, chapter one, verse one. And so let's look at this. Let's read the first verse. He says, he was praying in a certain place when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, Teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And so I look at this, and you can read these words, and you have, if you have a pen, I want to encourage you to make some notes in your Bible if you're that type of person, which I am. Um, it says he was praying where? In a certain place. So first of all, make an appointment with God and keep it. You know what I mean? You make appointments with all types of things in your life, like doctors, wives, husbands, uh, school, all these different types of things. Make an appointment with God and keep it. I know that's a little side sermon for you. But when he'd finished, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And so as I was looking at this, the disciples, what, what this taught me is that the disciples had noticed in all of Jesus's preaching, his teaching, the miracles, that prayer had seemed to be the source of all his power. Can you see that? Uh, they had seen the miracles, they had seen the teachings, the, uh, the teachings that Jesus was giving or the preaching that was happening was powerful. It was, it was given with authority. There was something different about that. And so in all that was happening, they see that the, that the source of that power was prayer. And they didn't say, Lord, teach us how to do that miracle. Lord, teach us how to preach like you preach. I don't wanna preach like that. Lord, teach me how to do that. They said, Lord, teach us how to pray because they saw that prayer was the key. And so in response to the request, Jesus teaches them the, the Lord's Prayer, which, in, which is, is more of a template for prayer rather than something we're supposed to recite every time we meet. That's a different sermon. So, so Jesus goes on and tells a little story. He said, he, he, this is to illustrate how he prays, how, how he's gonna pray. It says this, it says the story, he, what he does is he tells about a man who had some unexpected visitors at midnight. Anybody enjoy having unexpected visitors at midnight? 
Nobody? Okay. And because his visitors were hungry, the man went over to a neighbor's house to borrow some bread at midnight. Okay, at midnight. So obviously his friend had already been in bed for a while and obviously he was asleep because that's what normal people do at midnight. Uh, you college students, whatever. Listen, and on the top of that, in that culture, what you see, families slept in the same room and sometimes in the same bed. They had these huge beds. And so to answer this guy's request, he would have literally had to get up, crawl over his family and go to the door to answer the door. So he woke up everybody in the house. And then on top of that, this man was asking for three full loaves of bread. And three full loaves of bread in that day would have fed a whole family for several days. And so you see, this man had made a ridiculous request at a very inconvenient time. But look how Jesus explains this in verse eight. Look down to verse eight. It says this, I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he is, in the, he is his friend, Yet, because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So Jesus says, the guy's request is gonna be met not because he's his friend, but because of his shameless boldness. And if you look in there, a different translation says shameless persistence. And so he was, it was a shameless boldness in asking his friend to get up at midnight. So the point in all of this is the neighbor gives him the bread, not because the man is his friend. After this, he probably wouldn't be his friend anymore. He wouldn't be my friend for, we'd have some problems. We'd be friends, you know, but, but because of his boldness and his shameless asking at midnight. So then the, the Jesus says what he says. He says, won't your heavenly father who never sleeps and who loves you like children, won't he give you whatever you need, what, to do his will? And so Matthew 28 is a promise, right? Matthew, the Great Commission is a promise. And at the very end of that, he says, he says, um, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that I've told you, all that stuff. And he says, I'll be with you until the end of the age. So if the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords says, hey, I'll be with you forever. So you do what I tell you to do, I'll cover the rest. That's, that's a powerful statement. And so but what Jesus is saying here is this from the same vein as the Great Commission. Won't your heavenly father who never sleeps and also who loves you like children, won't he give you whatever you ask to do his will? So the, the point of this is to ask, to ask the Lord to be with you, to help you, to guide you in these moments. And so as Jesus continues this lesson in verse nine and 10, what does he say? Verse nine, he says, so I say to you, what? Ask, and it will be given to you. What else? Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door, what? Will be open for you. And for everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. And these three verbs in here, ask, seek, knock, basically what it does is it reinforces, reinforces the teaching on persistence. Because if you look at the Greek form of these words, it implies a continuous action. So it says, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Who has children here under the age of 10? Well, my, oh, good Lord, a lot of people. So you know that persistence in asking is like, shut up. Like, okay, here it is. You know what I mean? You, you can have it. But I, I don't think that's the heart that Jesus gives, gives us the Holy Spirit with. But I'm saying like, you understand that continuous asking of, of, of what they want. And that's how prayer for the Holy Spirit works, Jesus says. 
He says, we keep asking, we keep praying, we keep fighting, we keep knocking, we keep going to him, going to him, going to him. And only and only and only in that context will heaven's door be open for his children. Listen, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, it won't be on your screen. You can, you can write it down. It's, it literally says, pray without ceasing. And you're like, Michael, that would get weird. I'm walking around Walmart talking to God. People think I'm having an imaginary friend, something weird. You know, no, listen, it's a, it's a moment of your heart being connected to Jesus. And my, I'm having a conversation with him all day long saying, God, I just need your help. I need your assistance. Guide me in this. How am I supposed to respond? Teach me how to do this. Guide me in this. Move me here. God, I surrender. God, forgive me. I sin. Help me, Lord. It's a constant prayer life that you walk in. It's not a, I prayed this morning, I prayed at night, and that's it. No, no, we like to ask this though, don't we? We like to ask, well, why, if God's will is to give me and to give you the Holy Spirit, then why not give his power the first time we ask? Why? Now, this is, this is so confusing, Lord. Well, for one, you know, it doesn't matter why, because you're the child and he's the father. Two, I think it's because it keeps our dependency on him. It keeps our dependency on him and nothing else, not money, not anything, not our relationships, not things like, it keeps our focus on him. God, I need you to move. I know you're real. I know, you, I know what your truth says. I, I, I believe it. I, I'm gonna follow it, but I need you to move. I need you to move. I need your presence. I need your presence. It's a constant, constant asking. Look what else Jesus says, verse 11. Verse 11 through 13 says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake, a snake instead? Have you ever done that? Kid asks you for a sandwich or a banana. No, here's a rattlesnake. No, you would never do that. Or if he asked for an egg, would give you a scorpion. If then, this is my favorite part, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And I've always thought it was weird in this moment where Jesus is like, Though you are evil, like, Jesus, come on, bro. I know I'm not as good as you, but you ain't gotta keep rubbing it in. You know what I mean? Like, is this a moment of like insult? Is Jesus insulting the disciples here or insulting his audience? Like, even you, though you're evil, know how to get good gifts. Your father will also, he knows how to get good gifts. And most of us think, but this is what I want you to see. In this context, he's given a parable and a talk about children. And most of the time, I'm not sure about you, but most of us think that we're at our best when it comes to our kids, right? We think we love our kids. We think I'm the, I'm the best when I'm loving my kids the best. I think that's the most unevil that I am, right? Like I'm loving them. I'm giving them a shirt off my back. I'm giving them all the, all the food they need, all the clothes they need. I'm taking them to school. I'm doing all these things. But what he's saying is, but even at our best parenting, compared to God's love for his children, we're evil. And that's a really beautiful promise of hope if you really think about it. Even in the midst of my messed upness, my father loves me with a perfect love and is teaching me. He wants to give me his spirit. And he just says, come ask, come ask. What about you? Is there anything that you wouldn't do for your kids to meet their needs? No, I don't think, I don't think you, I don't think, I mean, I hope not. I feel like you would do anything to make sure they were secure and safe and had all the things they needed. And what Jesus is saying in, in chapter 11 of Luke, he's saying, ask like kids, be bold, be persistent, be shameless. Ask, ask, ask. And if you go over to chapter 12 of Acts, let's read some in there. We're gonna see this lesson 
in here. We're gonna see the lesson that, that Luke is telling us about in chapter 11 come alive in chapter 12 of, of Acts. And so let's read this together. We're gonna read uh, through verse 17, I believe. It says this, about that time, and so last week, oh, let me stop. Last, last week we talked about Barnabas. We talked about the church at Antioch coming alive. The church at Antioch was doing great and mighty things. They were sending out missionaries. There was all these great things happening. The church was on the move. And so then we see in chapter 12, this is how it begins. About that time, King Herod violently attacked some of those who belonged to the church. He executed James, John's brother, with the sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, the, he proceeded to arrest Peter too. During the festival of unleavened bread, after, after the arrest, he put him in prison and assigned four squads of four soldiers. For those of you who are a little short on math, that's 16 people. Each to guard him intending to bring him out of the people to the people after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was praying fervently to God for him. And so just to kind of give you a brief history lesson, the Festival of Unleavened Bread was basically an after party to the Passover. Basically, they didn't want the Passover to end. We have seven more days of food and fun and fellowship. And so they were adding more. And so it was against the law for them to, to execute anybody during this period. And so basically what this is showing us is that Peter was in jail for at least seven days. And so if you keep reading, it says this. When Herod, and this was Herod Agrippa I, you'll see Herod Agrippa II persecuting Paul later in Acts, so don't get these confused as Herod Agrippa I, was about to bring him out for trial. And remember, this is the second time this has happened for, to, to Peter. In, a, in chapter four of Acts, you see Peter and John being in prison and being released from jail supernaturally. I'm sorry, I keep, I keep doing that. Let's keep going. When Herod was about to bring him out for trial that very night, that very night, Peter brought, bound with two chains was sleeping between two soldiers while the sentries in front of the doors guarded the prison. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. Striking Peter on the side, he woke, woke him up and said, quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrist. Get dressed, the angel told him, put on your sandals. And he did. Wrap your cloak around you. And he told him and follow me. So he went out and he went he went out and followed, and he did not know that what the angel did was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. After they passed the first and second guards, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened to them by itself. They went outside and passed one street, and suddenly the angel left them. So I'm, I'm reading this, and I'm like, were they invisible at this point? Like, because they're walking past people, and they couldn't see them. Like, the door is opening by itself. It's like a Jedi, like, open the door. It's like, it's wild. Man, this is awesome. Like, are they invisible in this moment? Like, I, it's, I, I like to think they probably are. That's pretty cool. Like, and so, like, what's happening? I'm sorry. I get really excited about reading the Word. Verse 11. When Peter came to himself, yeah, exactly. Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's grasp and from all that the Jewish people expected. As soon as he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many had assembled and were praying. He knocked at the door of the outer gate and a servant named Rhoda came to answer. She recognized Peter's voice and because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the outer gate. Now this is me. You know, I get so excited, I forget that a dude's in prison. He escaped. People are probably looking for him, standing outside. I should probably let him in. You know what I mean? But I'm so excited about the miracle, I forget they let the guy in. So it's crazy. But this was a tangible answer to prayer. They told Rhoda, hey, man, you're out of your mind. They told her, she, she kept insisting that it was true. And they said, it's, it's his angel. They were saying he was dead. Peter, however, kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were amazed, motioning to them with his hand to be quiet 
he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Tell these things to James and the brothers, he said, and he left and went to another place. And so I see really two really important lessons in this place. I love these stories. The Bible is full of these amazing stories. Read it, it's awesome. And so I see two lessons in here that I think as a church, we need to learn to mirror and to put into action. Remember our question at the beginning of the sermon was, was how is your personal prayer life? Personally, how is your prayer life? How's it going? Is it, are you praying to the Lord? Is, are you, are you experiencing a sweet time with the Lord? Here's another question for you. This is gonna kind of center through the rest of the sermon is, do your prayers center around your comforts or do they center around the mission of God? Do your prayers center around your comforts? That means your conveniences, God, give me this, help me here, do this, do that, do this. Or do they center around God's mission? As individuals, do we desire to see the mission of God pushed forward like we see in the book of Acts? Because what I notice most about the early church is I don't see them praying for more luxuries or more things to make their life more comfortable or to be delivered from troubles or hardships. I don't see many things being prayed for about it. What I do see though, is these people taking Jesus at his word and then and him saying that they would that, What just happened? Check, check. All right, sorry about that. Bring it back in. Now everybody's awake. Holy Spirit, thank you for that. Somebody was about to fall asleep. Okay, so what I noticed most about the early church is that they were taking Jesus at his word. They were taking Jesus at his word whenever Jesus said that they would face many trials and temptations and troubles in this life. But what did he say? Take heart because I've overcome the world, right? Do we need to take a breather? Water break or something, we're good. Okay, so you see in Acts 12, they were praying for boldness and courage to endure. They were praying for perseverance to withstand the trials and the temptations. They were praying for passion in the middle of persecution. They were praying for, to gain eternal perspective. God, show me, open my eyes, let me see what you're doing because I don't understand everything right now. Let me see instead of temporary comforts, temporary convenience. They weren't praying for this or that. They were praying for the, the big picture to happen. And remember guys, listen, Peter was sleeping between two Roman guards and he was supposed to be executed the very next morning. Think about that kind of peace. Do you have that type of peace in your life? Where I, no matter what, God's got it. He was sleeping for crying out loud. If I'm dying the next morning, the type of death that he was gonna die, I don't think I'd be sleeping much less um, be, being at peace. I would be begging God to remove me from this situation. God, help me. God, make my life better. Help me be more comfortable. God, it would be really good if I could get a softer bed. God, help me, help me, help me, help me because my focus is on me and it doesn't need to be on me. It needs to be on God and his mission and what he's called me to do with my life. And so as I read this, I am reminded of Philippians 1 verse 20 where Paul is writing. You can see Paul's heart in this. He says, my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now as always with all courage, Christ will be highly honored by my, in my body, whether by life or by death. So no matter what comes, life or death, my main focus is on Jesus. No matter what, Jesus is my focus. 
but so many times we take it off of him and put it on our money, on our kids, on our families, on our house, on our circumstances, on the things that we're facing, the illness that we're going through, whatever it may be, our life is to drift towards comfort instead of, instead of work towards becoming more holy. And so today, as we look through this, Jesus is worth every ounce of pain you will ever experience on this earth for his glory. Can you hear that, please? Jesus is worth every single ounce of pain you will ever endure on this planet. I'll say that, I say that with the full confidence that my brothers and sisters in prison in China and Iran will tell you the same thing. No matter what I'm going through, it's worth it because Jesus is king. If you're not saved in here today, let's fix that. If you are, let's live like the church was called to live. Let's live like Acts 12 is showing. Let's pray for our brothers. Let's be unified and mature. Let's stop trying to, let's stop trying to fight for position and fight for who's the smartest and fight for who's the most gifted. Let's work together and love one another and be united around the gospel the way Jesus set it up for. Listen, we're supposed to fight to be staying true. What, what, did, what did Barnabas do last, last week? What did he encourage the church with last week? He said, remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. That means fight to stay true. Fight to stay true to the calling that Jesus has placed on you as a disciple of Jesus if you're saved in this place today. If you're not, let's fix that. But if you are saved in this place and you're a disciple, our goal is to be united as a body, to walk hand in hand, to see Jesus lifted high and praised in this community. And so as we read through Acts 12, there are two really big things that we're gonna need to look at today. There's two points, sorry for my three point people. There's two points. The first thing we need to see in Acts chapter 12 is we need to be praying with a heart for God's mission. Praying with a heart for God's mission. And this is a little sub point for you. What I thought about as I was reading this, and this is kind of personal than it is directed at you, so maybe, maybe you can just take this on as your own. The, the substance of my prayer life reveals what's important to me. What I'm praying about reveals what's important to me. Like take an inventory of your prayer life over the last six months, year, two days, three days, four days a week. What are you praying about? And I look at Acts and every prayer in Acts was centered on one thing. It was the mission. It was the mission. Well, we see Peter and John over in chapter four of, uh, of Acts. You don't, have to turn, you don't have to turn there, you look on the screen. But Peter and John were released from prison. They come back into the fold and what do they pray for? I'm gonna read it to you. It says, after they were released, they went to their own people and reported everything the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, the, ch the church, the, the people, the, they raised their voices together to God and said, Master, you are the one who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit by the mouth of our father David, your servant, why do the Gentiles raise and the people's plot futile things? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against the Messiah. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel assemble together against your Holy Spirit, or excuse me, your Holy Servant Jesus, Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, consider their threats. Grant that your servants may speak your word with what? Boldness. 
while you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. They knew the mission. They knew their purpose as the church. They knew they were sent because Acts 1-8 had happened. They were committed to seeing the mission of God carried out no matter what. And so a lot of people love to walk around with the label of Christian on, right? We love the thought of going to heaven and being with Jesus. And we love the thought of, of being saved from our sins. And we wear that Christian badge boldly. But my question is, do you have no matter what type faith? No matter what you face, you're gonna give God praise. No matter where you find yourself at, rich, poor, sick, whatever, you're gonna praise God. And you're gonna honor him by the way that you live. Do your prayers revolve around the mission of God? Do they revolve around the mission of God? Do you care that 3.2 billion people have never heard the name of Jesus? Does that, does that resonate in your heart at all? Is that, does that, do you care about that? When you're praying as a Christian, a believer in Christ who says, hey, Jesus is my Lord, when you're saying that and you, and you hear the words that, that 3.2 billion people have never heard the name of Jesus, it would literally take you 60 years to count to that number. That many people don't know Jesus had never heard of him. Does it bother you? That's 42% of the world's population. Does it bother you? Has it moved you into action around your community and your life and your homes? Are you all, or... Are you still seeking comfort above all else? It's comfort and then everything else. Do you care that there are people in our city, in this place, that don't know the name of Jesus? There's 16 people groups in this, in this there's 16 unreached people groups represented in Savannah, Georgia. Blows my mind. What if someone were to listen in on your prayers for the week? This is great. What if me or Christian or, or Brad or somebody came to your house and sat down while you were praying and just said, okay, go ahead. And just start recording everything you prayed. Somebody like, what? So think about, what if someone were sitting and listening in on your prayers during the last week? Would they hear a zeal for God's mission? Would they hear a zeal for God's presence? Would they hear a passion for the word? Would they hear a passion for Jesus and what he's done? Would they hear repentance, praise, glory, being lifted to Jesus? Would they, would they hear those types of things? Would they hear concern for those two billion people we just named that, that don't know Jesus? Would they hear compassion for our imprisoned or endangered brothers and sisters around the world who are being persecuted? Would they hear that? So let's be done with prayer that centers around only us and our comforts. Let's be done with that mess. Let's, let's, we've been called to join with God of the universe in spreading his glory among the nations. In Acts 12, the church knew it. They knew it was God's will to get the gospel to the ends of the earth, regardless of what Herod wanted. They weren't sure how it was gonna happen. They weren't sure if Peter would make it or not. They had thought he had died because they thought his angel had come, but the mission was clear. So what did they do? They got on their knees, and they started praying. They got on their knees and started praying, Lord, make it happen. We can't do it, you can. You're bigger than Herod, we're not. We need you, come work on our behalf. And what does it look like for us in our communities? What does it look like for you and me in our communities? What does this look like? I think it looks like the church banding together and praying that the Holy Spirit would fill the church and extinguish the disunity that's, that's rampant throughout our, our, the Big C Church, in America especially. I think the Holy, asking for the Holy Spirit to bring his presence and send us out 
strategically. Where do you work at? Take the gospel there. Take the gospel to your home, to your children. Preach the gospel to your family first. Take it to your schools. Take it to your community events, the ball fields, everywhere you go. I just heard about somebody this week that was praying with somebody at Captain D's. Pray where you're at. Go where you go. Be Jesus for the people around you. That's a true story. That also means not using prayer to, as an excuse for obedience. Does that make sense? What, what I mean by that is, is sometimes we know what God wants us to do. We know what he's told us to do, right? It's like me praying, God, should I make a disciple? Like, should I do that? I just, I just don't know. Like the word says, go and make disciples. So I read it. That means I don't need to pray for it because I know what he wants me to do. I just need to pray for the boldness to go do it. Okay, so like the, the word says things, we're called to obey it. This is the written word of God. We're called to obey it. Do what, read the Bible and do what it says. Just walk in obedience. But we spend so many time at altars that, 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 are, that are great. But we spend so many time, so many prayers at this altar, praying prayers that we already know have an answer. Like we know what we're supposed to do. Like God help me to get out of this affair. You know you're supposed to do that right? You know you're supposed to confess and repent and move on. You know that, right? Help, Lord, help me with this financial stuff. Lord, you know that you should probably stop spending so much money on fantasy football and spend more money where it needs to be at, right? You know those things. Walk in obedience, walk in wisdom. Don't get confused in that. Again, what does your personal prayer life look like? What are you going to God with persistently? Is it for people's heart to be awakened to the truth of the gospel? Is it for the hearts to be awakened to, around our community to, to be awakened to who Jesus is? Is it that you would be able to leverage your family and your finances for the kingdom? Is it, what is it? Or is it sounded the same for years, confessing the same sins over and over and over, dealing with bondage in an area of, uh, in an area of your life where God's already freed you from? God has opened the prison doors of your life when he opened the doors of the grave, guys. You just gotta walk out. You gotta say, I'm leaving this life, I'm repenting and I'm moving forward. So many times though, we like the prison cell more than we like our freedom. And so we sit in a prison cell with a door that's already open and we just sit in there. But God has called us to be free, to live in freedom. Galatians 5 tells us, listen, I get so frustrated even with this. Even with this, and I think this is kind of showing some areas of, of bondage or unbelief, whatever, in Christianese type prayers that run rampant in the church, right? I'm gonna step on some toes. My toes too, so it's okay. We're gonna make fun of each other, and I'm in there, okay? Is that good? Silence, here we go. I'm doing it anyway, here we go. We fill, we fill our prayers so many times with cliches, don't we? Like, we'll, we'll, we'll spend most of our time asking for things God's already promised in Scripture. God, be with us, be with us, be with us. Well, son, I've already told you I would be with you. Stop asking for it, just live like it. I'm here, live like I'm here. Like, I, I have a friend that actually, I've, I've actually asked one time before, because he and I are really close and I, I'll sit in prayer meetings with him. And I'll be like, bro, how many times do you think you said the word Lord in that prayer? Like, Lord, I pray that you would come, Lord, come do this, Lord, help, Lord, 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 Lord or God, or Jesus, or, and we say, well, let me ask you this, if I was in a conversation with you and I said your name a million times, you get aggravated, right? I'm not saying God would, I'm just saying, you get what I'm saying. This is kind of a joke, guys, sorry. 
the next one is, I told you, God be with us. God, God says in Matthew 28 that he was faithful and he has authority on heaven and on earth to be with us wherever we go as, as, as we're doing his will. What about when we spend a lot of time asking for things that God's, you know, that aren't really supposed to be my, the focus? Help me with my test, Lord. <laughs> or, that's what I prayed a lot, because I would never studied. Uh, osmosis, Lord. <laughs> work a miracle. That's what I was doing, but it didn't work. So I think God in those moments are like, you know, why don't you just go study? <laughs> Use the brain that I gave you. This is my favorite. People get on me all the time. Bless this food, Lord. Thomas is laughing because we've done that before. Listen, the food in front of me has already been blessed. I just need to give thanks for it, okay? We need to pay attention to what we say. Traveling mercies, that's another one. I heard a pastor say this one time. What is traveling mercies anyway? Why don't you just stop texting and driving and drive set the speed limit, you'd be good to go. Okay, listen, pray scripture. Open up the Psalms and start praying. Pray scripture, claim the promises of God that are in scripture. Say, God, this is what you've said, God, so this is what I need. I know you've said it, I know you're trustworthy. This is what I believe. God, I'm, I'm trusting you in this and persistently pray scripture because most of our time praying, it needs to be centered on the advancement of God's kingdom. So if I'm praying to be healed, I need to be healed so that I can go. If, I, if I'm praying for my brother or sister in Christ to, to, to come out of this or come out of that, I need to pray for him to be able to be healed so that it can be sent. If God has got my brother or sister in a situation that I don't agree with or I don't like, I have to trust that it's for God's glory and some greater benefit that I don't see right now. Does that make sense? That's a trust that we have to look in and, and God and say, I trust you, Lord. And so just in case you're unaware of this, guys, you're in a war. You, when you walked into a relationship with Jesus as a follower of Christ, you stepped into a battlefield where the enemy of this world that we call Satan. And one of my favorite uh, pastors, theologians, writers, is John Piper. He said, until you know that this life is war, you'll never know what prayer is for. And I heard a story one time, there's a movie about it. I read it in a book, it's called The Insanity of God. And it tells a story of a man who was traveling to the secret church in China. And he was sharing about his, his time in Som uh, Somalia, I think it's Somalia, where there was a church was being persecuted or something. And he, he goes hours and hours and hours and hours and hours out to the countryside of China. He shares with the people in this, this, this um, secret church that there was, there was a persecuted church um, in, in this part of the country or this part of the world. And they were amazed that there were any more Christians in the world besides them. And so he said they went to bed that night and he said he woke up to sounds of screaming and crying and, and, and just a wail. So he thought they were under attack. He said he gets up and goes out in the courtyard of this little farmhouse. And he says the entire church was on their knees and faces praying and crying out to God for the church in Somalia that was being persecuted. These people, thousands and thousands of miles away, were praying for their brothers and sisters in another country because they were being persecuted. You're in a war. My second, my second and my last point is pray fervently. What did it say in verse five of chapter 12? So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was praying fervently to God for him. Pray fervently and pray often. The frequency of your prayer life reveals what you're dependent on. How often you pray reveals what you're dependent on. The intensity, the intensity of your prayer life reveals your awareness of your need. The intensity of your prayer life, it reveals the awareness of your need and who Jesus is to you. It's not hard to see how this church praying for Peter is illustrating what Jesus had already taught us 
in chapter 11 of Luke. They knew it was God's will for the church to get the gospel to the ends of the earth, right? And right now in Acts 12, they had a real problem. They had an issue. One of their main leaders had been taken out. James had been killed. The other, was about, the other one was about to be killed. Peter was about to be taken out. So what do you do? To put it in modern day terms, your pastor's dead, your associate pastor's in prison. What are you gonna do? You're gonna sit and we're gonna figure out what's going on. We're gonna pray. We're gonna step up. We're gonna walk it out. This could be really present day stuff in another country. They weren't sure if Peter was gonna make it or not, but they knew one thing. It's not God's will for Satan to destroy the church because of all the promises that Jesus had made. It was not God's will for Satan to slow down the church's progress. It was not God's will for that to happen. So what did they do? They got on their knees and asked God, God, you got to do something. And we're not gonna let go of you until you open up the doors of heaven and bless our efforts and overcome our enemies. And they kept at it and kept at it and wouldn't give up. So my question is, have you ever had a time in your prayer life where you went in your bedroom, closed the door, said, God, I ain't come out of here until I hear from you? You ever done that? Not a lot of people have. My question though is why? If you say, no, I haven't done that. Don't hear condemnation. But my question is, why haven't you done that? Well, I got a work schedule, Michael. I got to do this. I got a family. I got this and that and the other. And I'm, I just want to say so. <laughs> yeah, we all do. But have you ever been in God's presence and said, God, I'm not moving until I, I just can sense your presence. I need, I need you to move. Do you know it's not God's will for Satan to destroy your marriage? Do you know it's not God's will for addiction to control your life? Drugs, pornography, alcohol, work. Do you know it's not God's will for those things to control your life? Do you know it's not God's will for you as a Christian to just get by until you're 70 or 80 and pass away? Do you know you're not meant just to exist for a little while and then then kind of fade off into the sunset. You've been called with a purpose. Do you know that it's not God's will for us to have a marginal church? One that just sits on the sidelines and forgets about the mission of God and the world around us is going to hell without Jesus. Are we okay with that? It shouldn't be. Listen, I think our problem is we either give up way too soon in prayers or we never get started. We give up way too soon or we never get going. One of my favorite pastors, Adrian Rogers, once said, Satan can't keep God from answering our prayers, but he can, he's trying to keep us from asking. He can't keep God from, he's not powerful enough to keep God from answering our prayers, but he is trying to keep us from praying. Sometimes you have to keep asking, keep calling to God as if he's that sleeping neighbor. In Acts 12, we just read this a second ago, they prayed like the needy neighbor to God, the good father to give, and he did. And the moral of that story is do not mess with the church on his knees. Do not mess with the church on his knees, man. Listen, every time in the book of Acts we just read, whenever the church goes to praying, guess what? Things start happening. Because every single one of the church members in that place had a heart that was turned over to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in in submission to a prayer life that was centered around the glory and the mission of God. What would happen if the 100 people in this room would think that way, would act that way, would love one another that way? What would happen in this room? Acts 1, Jesus ascended into heaven, 
The church prays for 10 days. The Holy Spirit comes. Preach, uh, Peter preaches a short little message. 3,000 people get saved and baptized. Acts chapter 4, they pray. God fills them with so much boldness that they turn the city upside down. And by the end of Acts 5, the church in Jerusalem is over 10,000 people because their heart was so full of passion for the Holy Spirit and for the Word of God that they couldn't shut their mouths for it. Here in Acts 12, they pray. God opens a prison door. Peter goes free. The next chapter, we're going to read about it next week, and we have a big announcement next week. Y'all should be here. It's really awesome. They pray. God raises up Paul to be a missionary, the greatest missionary the world has ever known. All these things happen because of prayer, because God's hand is moved by prayer. Samuel Chadwick, I told you a second ago, the one concern of the devil is to keep the saints from prayer. He fears nothing from prayerless study, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our work, our toil, he mocks our wisdom that we think we have, but he trembles when we pray. Prayer turns ordinary mortals into men of power. It brings fire, it brings rain, it brings life, it brings God. There's no power like that of prevailing prayer. So my question for you today is what keeps you from praying like this? I pray right now that you're so challenged because I am. What keeps you from this moment? What keeps you from having a relationship with Jesus like this? Can we really say, can you really say that you have a healthy relationship with God if your prayer life is unhealthy? The answer is no. Like, has the enemy succeeded in keeping you from prayer? Has he succeeded in lying to you to the point where you believe the lie? Where you say, I'm too far gone now, I can't start praying now, I don't know what to say anymore. It's like I'm talking to somebody I've cheated on. I don't know what to say to them. Like you go and you go to your knees and you say, God, please forgive me. I repent, Father. Lord, restore me to where I'm supposed to be, Father. Speak into my life and put me back on the path that you had for me at birth. That's a good start. And if you want to say it, say it however you want to say it. But go to God, come to God today and, 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 and pray that. So what keeps us from prayer, man? I, I, there's a few things, a busy schedule, right? I'm busy, I got a lot to do. Can I remind you of something? You are still in control of you. Okay, you can quit your job if it's an idol. You're like, oh my God, what? Listen, let's get radical with this, man. Like, listen, you are in control of you. You have a choice to make about your soul and that far outweighs anything temporal that you can put on the plate. Another thing, wasted time. Binging on Netflix, binging on Facebook, turning on the TV, YouTube, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, the list is long. Distraction, 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 distraction. Until one day, you're an old man or a woman and like, where'd time go? Satan's strategy for your entire life and you didn't, you didn't hear, you didn't see. You weren't able to be there in that moment. Another thing is laziness. Who's lazy? I'm lazy. Man. Laziness and apathy. Laziness, apathy, laziness, apathy. I'll do it tomorrow. I told myself I'd work out Monday for two years. Amen. Finally started three weeks ago. I'm just kidding. Listen, long time, laziness, apathy. The last thing, discouragement. How many times have you been so discouraged that you're just, you're just frozen? I don't want to do anything because nobody appreciates me. Can't get it right, can't do it right, can't get it right, whatever. Not seeking God because your faith feels weak is like not going to doctor because your body feels sick. It's dumb. Come to Jesus. He loves you. 
Because the absence of prayer is going to point to three things in your life. It's going to, it's going to point to a lack of faith. May, you may not actually be where you think you are. You may not actually be where you say you are. It's going to point to a lack of faith. It's going to point to sin in your life. If you're not, if you're not, if you're not praying, maybe there's sin in your life. Shame will drive you away from the presence of God faster than anything in the world. And the third thing is the absence of prayer in your life points to pride and points to arrogance because it puts you in control of your own circumstances and not God. You forget, the, you forget what you need. One of my favorite books um, is Why Revival Tarries. It will punch you in the face. So don't read it unless you're ready. Leonard Ravenhill says, no man is greater than his prayer life. No man is greater than his prayer life. The pastor who is not praying is playing. The people who are not praying are straying. He's a rapper too, sorry. We have many organizers, but few agonizers. Many players, few payers. Few prayers, many singers, few clingers. Lots of pastors, few wrestlers. Many fears, few tears. Much fashion, little passion. Many inter interferers, few intercessors. Many writers and few fighters. Failing here, we fail everywhere. What about you today? What is your personal prayer life like? Is it focused on the mission of God or is it still centrally focused? Every week when I open up this altar, are you more concerned with the amount of distance and space there is between where you're at and where God wants you to be? Or are you more focused on getting out of this room? Listen, our heart is for every person to walk through this door of our church that they would meet and know Jesus. And if you struggle with prayer in this place or you are hearing from God, there's only a couple of options. Maybe you're not saved. Let's just get real with it. Maybe you just believe the lie that religion is going to save you. That, that, that saying, I know Jesus, I have a mental ascension. I know who Jesus is. He's the son of God. I know that. Maybe you think, maybe you've been told the lie that that saves you. That doesn't save you. The Bible says in James that the demons believe. Are the demons saved? No. Church attendance, giving in the offering, those types of religious activities do not save you. The only way is Jesus. The only way is Jesus trusting in Him, clinging to Him for salvation. Have you done that? Have you done that today? Don't leave your seat today without getting this right. Because it says in Romans that God made Him, God made His Son who knew no sin. That means He had never sinned, didn't know about, didn't know sin. He knew no sin. He never sinned. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Why? so that we may become the righteousness of God. That is the gospel in a nutshell. Today, you've been living your life your own way. You've been walking your path the way that you wanted to walk your path out. But God is saying, hey, there's another way. There's another way. This morning, if you know and you, you felt it, and you, the Holy Spirit's moving in your heart, maybe that's a good way to know that as your heart's racing 100 miles an hour. It's like, oh God, you know, listen, God is calling you back to Him. And that's a blessing. God wants to move in your life and put you on a path that He created you for and restore your life back to where He wanted you to be. And so this morning, if that's you, if you want to receive that gift of righteousness that God is trying to give you this morning, I just want to ask you, can I pray with you? Can our prayer team pray with you? And can we just lead you down that path the rest of the way? Because all you have to do is lift your hand up and I'll walk with you the rest of the way. Is there anybody here this morning? Does anybody know that's them? Jesus is offering his free gift of salvation. And all you gotta do is receive it. Is there anybody this morning?
the rest of you this morning today, if you need prayer, if you need a remodeling of your prayer life, or if you want to commit to praying for the mission of God to be accomplished in this house, come to this altar and let's begin to beg God. Get on our faces and say, God, move. Please move. Please move. Let's lay down the things that we're holding on to that are hindering our pursuit. Hebrews 12 talks about uh, casting away the things that hinder us and the sins that so easily entangle us. Let's come do those things right now. And I'll pray as you guys come. Please come and just uh, we'll have people to be able to pray with you as well. So Father God, we love you. We praise you for who you are. We praise you for what you've done. God, I thank you for your son, Jesus. I thank you for what the cross means. I thank you for loving us whenever we didn't deserve it. God, I thank you for um, just the, the, the gift of, of, of grace that you have poured out for us, Father, through the blood of Jesus. Lord, I pray right now that you would just move in the hearts of your people. God, that you would not let one person walk out of this room, Father, without having an experience with you. God, where they, they know that you're the lover of their souls, God, and the, the redeemer of their souls. God, Lord, I pray today that you would receive all the glory for everything that was done and spoken, God, that you would move and, and, and start to water those seeds, Father, of, of, of salvation in people's hearts. We love you. Praise you and it's your name I pray. Amen.